and I would say hats off to the sound effects guy because the sound of them driving over these bodies is horrific and the looks on their faces is just horror movie survival guide is a weekly podcast where i gorehound julia marchesi delves into my horror movie notebook to corrupt another one of my longtime chums terry gamble who is hiding in the creepy horror closet my mission is to learn the gospel of horror movie survival and to incorporate Julia's wealth of wisdom to become a final girl disciple. Join us as we take a deep dive into everything from OG horror to newly released films, but preferably classics on VHS. We'll talk about obscure details that no one else notices. Spin off into alternate casting universes, crush on some dodgy, foxy fellows, and creepy uncles, and arm ourselves with the knowledge necessary to become the, the final girl. guys welcome back to you say it terry horror movie survival guide i'm julia and this week terry (laughs) (laughs) yes we we established we established that (laughs) oh okay should i have more coffee no have yes yes always uh this I'm Julia, and this week we're talking about 2016's Cell. Uh, the title of this episode is Devil's Intercom. The Devil's Intercom, man. And the tagline for this movie is, when everyone is connected, no one is safe. I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this uh, was, ad- uh, so Stephen King adopted this screenplay with Adam Aleka, and then it was directed by Todd Williams. Uh, and John Cusack, who stars, is also one of the executive producers. So here's the thing. I'm a big John Cusack fan. I'm yeah. a big Stephen King fan. Yeah. No idea this movie existed. Isn't it weird when stuff like that like slips through the cracks? That's how I kind of felt with like the um, the sweet-blooded Jesus. Like It was yeah. like, I was like, people I love, like director I love. Like I was like, how do, sometimes just stuff, even when we're huge fans of something, that's just tells you how much media is out there because people, you know, um, they're, we're inundated. There's so much stuff. And it's kind of interesting because this movie is kind of about the inundation of technology and like yes. how even when you're all connected, you're still missing things and things still go past you. So kind of poetic that we're finding this movie in the midst yeah. of this right now. Uh, so this is part of our Stephen King uh, round that we're doing, and this is the first time watching this for both uh, Terry and I. Uh, I, of course, being the constant reader nerd that I am, uh, will re- compare things to the book. You have to excuse me. I get very excited. I can't help it. Um, this is so, why we're here, though. This is why this podcast exists, because <laughs> you nerd out so hard and so beautifully about so many things, and especially when it comes to Stephen King. So I'm super pumped. We're doing this round of all these wonderful movies. Cujo was great last week, so I'm excited to get to the cell yes um so this uh you know it's it's kind of of course a genius move to use cell phones which are now ubiquitous as a as a villain as something that because everybody has it how many people would die is astronomical uh so the beginning of the book uh so this in the movie it takes place in the airport in the book it takes place he's standing in boston common and gets to watch boston common be completely obliterated by what happens oh and yeah i can only the- imagine i used to live out there and it's that would be insane yes that, it's so, always busy it's a tourist trap it's like being in it's like being in, in times square basically the equivalent yes. of like that in boston so we can see for budget reasons why one might not be able to pull that off but in the book is one of the best like holy shit the apocalypse is happening right fucking now 
openings ever. Um, I would say the book slightly slopes off from that opening, <laughs> but uh, the movie, so that we have the movie takes place. We have the beginning in an airport uh, where John Cusack is coming back home. And uh, I love is- this intro and I love this tension that is you can create in an airport. No <laughs> one, especially these days, post 2001 travel sucks in an airport. All the stuff you have to go through with the TSA, you see everybody's stress on their faces. And I actually just want to stop even at the credits. I was kind of obsessed with how they did them because there was this weird little like black blocks they would use kind of over certain parts of the frame. So you would see something, but then it looked like something was redacted or something was really bad happening underneath it. And it kind of added that tension and stress just in the credits alone of what it's like to travel and be at an airport. And then especially right now, thinking with my 2020 brain, pandemic brain of like, uh, all the germs and like, there's so many people in such a tight space and like the fight to look for, like, as he's looking for like a place to plug in his phone, you know, like where you're waiting there and your phone's dying and you're at the airport. And then there's like 20 bajillion people using one freaking outlet or trying to like get juice for their phone to connect with somebody before they get on the plane. Cause you're always scared in the back of your mind. I don't know if it's just me. Uh, that you're going to die, that you could. So you want to call your family one more time before you go on the plane. I always send my mom a text like literally right before like they tell us to turn them off. You know what I mean? That to make sure that she has a final message no matter what. Wow. Uh, Real life. I know people who've had, you know, really close people who've passed away that way. And I just always think about it whenever I get on a plane. I'm super mindful and grateful that I get to land somewhere uh, when I do. Oh, so uh, John Cusack is calling uh, his estranged wife to mention that he is home on his, uh, would like to come home. And then she's not sure if she wants him to come home. Leaves him a little, a little bit of mm, maybe not like he just kind of up and left and now is all of a sudden wanting to come back and she's not sure about that. Uh, but his son, uh, Johnny comes bounding into the car and wants to talk to dad. So they get to have a very brief conversation yeah, little JC. He's like, hey, dad, da, da, da. It's like that sweet little, he's being either dropped off at school or something in the morning and um, has a little backpack. It's such a sweet little moment and he's adorable. And, and then you know how like mm-hmm. little boys I- idolize their dads, you know? So it's like that nothing could be better in the world than like talking to your dad. He's on so the phone. pumped. Uh, except that John Cusack's phone dies. No more battery. So that is, it is uh, abruptly cut off. Uh, but just in time for things to go completely apeshit in the airport. The perfect time for this phone to die. Cause if his phone didn't die, he would die. Right. Yeah. Away. So his, his phone dying kept him alive. Mm-hmm. So it just turns into this complete scene of chaos where people and anybody talking on their cell phone just l- loses their mind and starts foaming at the mouth and start like attacking other people. Even uh, like it, rage zombies all of a sudden too. Like, so some people are zombied and some people are dead. Some people's brains explosion. Some people's like guts, like it looks like they're like whatever runs out of their ears. Like it's crazy. Yeah. It's just a kind of general. And, and you just kind of get these brief flashes from John Cusack's point of view of like, he's looking around and being like, what the fuck is happening? And all of it's happening at once. Uh, in the middle of all this, uh, Lloyd Kaufman shows up as a cameo, which is so fucking random. I was like, all right, trauma shout out in the middle of the cell. How, how weird. Uh, but, uh, and then we, a friend, I'm sure they just were like, you want to come hang out for the day? And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, why not? Uh, <laughs> Uh, so you just have people killing people and then like the cops show up and are like shooting people randomly. And so John Cusack has to show them like he's not 
And so like, but it's not like the cops are protecting him really. They're just like, get out of the way. And so he just has to kind of fend for himself. It's really fast assessment because everybody's, because everything goes into chaos within seconds. Everybody's trying to assess what, what they can, who they can trust and what they can do. And that's why it's just all out anarchy basically in the whole place. Uh, plus a plane crashes into uh, the airport as well. So I was really astounded, like assuming a movie I'd never heard of would be super low budget. And it, you know, it's like mid budget, but I was like, it's got some fucking shit. Like you got a plane crash into a building in like the first, you know, couple minutes of your movie right on. Like there's some big, there's some effects, some yeah. serious like VFX in this for sure. And some, some digital stuff happening all, all the way. I really like to see John Cusack hauling ass. I was like, wow, look at him go. He's not fucking around. Running down them stairs, trying to get yeah. out of there. So like the terminal, as, as Julia said, just like, um, cause the air traffic control, everything, so basically all the signals are messed up. Everything's messed up as like this weird, like cyber attack or unknown attack is happening to all these cell phones. And so all communication is fucked basically. And so, um, he ends up running down to like into this like underground, um, down these stairs. And it's like the LAX, like under, uh, not LAX, um, the, um, the tube, the T, uh, which is the Boston Metro system known as the T, um, and the transit system. And he's down there in the T and like all these people almost shoot him out of that are in one of the cars. He's like, no, 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 I'm not like messed up like all these other people. And they're like, okay, okay. So it's basically a crowd of people who didn't have their phones on basically that were able to get out of there. Um, uh, but, but Samuel L. Jackson as our, as, uh, Tom comes in and he's the driver of the train and is like, well, can't run the train because the escape signals are all messed up and like anything could come at any time. Like there's no way to go. So the only uh, way out is to walk down the tracks, uh, which they don't know is like another train could come, but like we, that's our really our only it's choice. We can safer go up. than being in a train and, ha- and, and like, having a collision with the train. You could actually at least jump out of the way or to the side of the wall or something like that. Right. And your it other option is to go back up to where all the crazies are. So this actually is kind of a, a better option where it's probably on fire now. Cause the plane had just, but you know, ran into the side of the terminal. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, um, so we find out he's, you know, he got maps and he knows how to get out of there. He knows the underground system very well. He also says they can't run the train because the one fun thing about Boston is it's all basically like channels, like underwater tunnels that have been, you know, uh, it's all underwater. So as soon as you open something up, there's more water could flood it. Or he talks about there's a sewage system that's real close by too that could flood it. So he's like, there's actually a whole pump of systems that actually keep this from flooding with sewage and flooding with water. Uh, so we got to get moving is what he's saying. Yeah. So there's a, some of them decide to stay and some of them decide to go and they go and they just kind of are able to get out that way. So we find out that, uh, John Cusack is trying to get, he wants to go back home. He wants to go find his wife and kid in, uh, Kent Pond, New Hampshire, uh, which is quite a walk from Boston. Uh, we find out, um, that Tom is, uh, is gay. Which is kind of a cool semi O Jackson. You don't expect like oh, I didn't like, even realize that. I don't yeah, even remember said, that part. Oh yeah, he did he, say he's had one line. Yeah, that's right. He said my man left me. That's right. So um that's I was like, all right, kind of cool. You don't expect it from like a, a cool like a T subway driver. Uh and so we go and some of the we have there's one of the guys that goes with him, he calls himself DJ Liquid. Yes, we love DJ Liquid. He's part of this like little intrepid crew. And you're like, oh <laughs> DJ Liquid. Day, guys, DJ Liquid. Oh man. 
<laughs> yeah, you're like, well, TJ Liquid, you're gonna you're gonna die in about three, two, two, one. and dead. Yeah, he was yeah. dead almost as soon as they made it out of that tunnel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they go to Clay apartment for the night to try to kind of like figure out what they're gonna do and leave in the morning. Uh, Boston is just completely fucked. Everything's uh, turned upside down. Like everything looks crazy. It's just like cars have been, you know, smushed and, um, as, as technology stopped, basically, it's just, it's the ultimate crash. And they don't know, of course, what exactly caused it. So they're like, is it safe to text? Like, there's no way to know what, you know, can you pick up an actual phone? Like there's no, no kind of rule book. Um, but I love that the Samuel Jackson has this line where he says, uh, if we're going to survive this, people are going to have to put their finer sensibilities aside. And if they can't, they're going to die. Yeah. Like, if not, they're going to die. A hundred percent. What happens in the apocalypse is you just stop becoming a human and start becoming an animal. And just, that's all there is. Well, finer sensibilities is just, you know, survival. So you can't be hoping for four star service or whatever, you know, and like luxury, um, in the midst of, of, of something like this. So, and, yeah. and, and knowing that you have to do it on your own, as we know, you know, final, final girls, finals, whoever, like you're, you have to do it on your own. You can't expect military to come save you, the police to come save you. Like nobody's coming, that. nobody's mm-hmm. coming. So, um, around this time also to the, um, this is great. Tom, Sammy Jackson uh, puts his phone in the freezer and stuff too. Cause he's like, well, we're going to preserve the battery. It'll help save the juice. Um, if we are going to try to use it later. So they put it in the freezer to hopefully um, preserve the battery because the power is all out. Um, I had no idea that I never even heard of that. Does, right? is, that a, is that a thing? I don't know. It seems, it seems like a thing. Well, producer rest is nodding. Yes. So I guess it's a thing. So okay. help preserve it, keep it cold. Um, so that, um, it won't die. So Alice, um, uh, we meet at this moment too. She shows up th- at the apartment. She's, um, one of, um, Clay, uh, junkie sex neighbors. Um, she shows up with a big ass knife <laughs> and is, freaked the hell out because she has just killed her mom who had turned so she is twang twang twanged already at the very beginning of the movie yeah Um, it's interesting to have mm -hmm. a character showing up twanged like she's already broken like the when we meet her it's like she's only going to go downhill from hill Mm -hmm. but uh isabel Furman is a great in this and just like you because she as like an actor how do you start on that level and then go you know like it's such a a very where else do you go yeah, where else do you go? She's really, really good at it. So they basically decide to kind of work together and they find that the zombies, if we call them that, uh, the, they call them phoners in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, the phoners are, are like a flock of birds, right? Like they all kind of move together in this weird way. They seem to have... They like, like a circle hi- and like, yeah, like like a flock of birds might circle around together. Mm-hmm. Like a hive mind kind of kind of deal um and they worked so to speak all together yes ah, yes uh so they decide okay well we're gonna go out and but we're on on, we're gonna go to uh the neighbor's house who happens to be a really big gun nut on the way out because that's pretty smart right you're like all right He's a prepper NRA guy, got all the stickers on the back of the bumper, got the like warning signs on the outside of his property, like stay out, you know, there's guns here, uh, kind of house. So yeah, they're like, well, if we're going to be doing this journey and it's very dangerous, yes, we make this stop. So there's the, 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 perhaps that neighbor could be there and could shoot them as they walk in, but they're going to take the chance. Uh, and they go in and find uh, a bloody mess in the kitchen floor of the wife and daughter who had killed each other. Uh, but find, a enormous, ridiculous stockpile of guns, uh, at this place. So that's always good to have, but then it's always that horror movie choice where like the real big guns that you really want to take, you can't really take because they're way too fucking heavy and you're going to be walking for like weeks and weeks. 
So you have to like, and then like how much have. ammunition can you get? How much, yeah. when is, when do you run out? So you have to take stock of like, how many bullets do you have? What, what's, what can you use and what's going to be the most effective? Um, and so, um, as they're leaving this house, though, too, they see somebody in the backyard. It looks like this kid sitting on a swing set and he's just rocking really slowly. And it turns out he's holding like a little like bunny or something. And he had actually a decoy and yeah. he is just there for bait to, uh, make all of the others come running and out so, of the forest. Yep. Out of the, the forest. So many. And you're like, Oh, they're fucked. Like there's way too many and they're trying to shoot as many as you can, but with, you know, bullets and like you, they don't, they're not gun savvy. You're trying to like reload as well, you're Tom going. is ish. He's at least, um, is cause he was in the military. We find out like back in the day. So he knew how to reload and actually get them loaded, but it's still, he's older. So he's not able to run as fast as he used to. And as he's running, he's just like, you know what? Fuck this. Uh, he gets tired of running at some point and just like goes crazy shooting them at the end. <laughs> And then they uh, head towards the water instead where there's yes. these boats. Mm-hmm. So they, you think that there's, they're pretty much going there. They've run, they, they run into water. There's like, there's really nowhere else to kind of go. They uh, end up hiding underneath one of the boats and just hoping that these, uh, these zombies aren't smart enough to figure them out. Um, but this is again, you know, one of the horror movie things, like you don't know what the rules are. Like how stupid are they? They're human, but how human, like, we don't really know. But what we find out is that when the sun goes down, they all kind of like glitch out and just turn around and all collectively walk away. Yeah. So, into some sort of huddle. They kind of like huddle back together, like kind of birds do at the end of the end of the night. They're like, okay, we're in a little group now. Um, but it's super creepy kind of disarming moment as the sun sets and all their mouths go like wide open and they look like they have like a frozen scream, silent, silent, frozen scream. Very, very Beck, Beck, Beckett. <laughs> Um, <laughs> squint, squint, silent scream. Ah! Um, and then they turn around and just walk away. We'd love to bring you Beckett, um, in the midst of horror movies survival guide. Thanks so much. All right. <laughs> so it looks like we're not sure if they're like called back by like a cell tower, if the cell towers are actually like controlling them. This feels very 5g conspiracy a little bit. I get why mm-hmm. people are probably like, Oh, it's, that's what's doing it. You guys, anyway, it's not, that's not what's doing it. Um, but they all look like they're a network or hive mind at this point. You really see it in, in motion. Um, so they end up walking and ending, uh, coming upon the Gaten Academy, mm-hmm. uh, where they find, uh, some other survivors, uh, Jordan, who was one of, who was a little boy about hey boy. Know, 12 or something. Yeah, and then, mm-hmm. and then Charles, uh, who was, uh, we got a little Stacy Keach action going on in this movie. I was excited to see him. I was like, Oh, it's been, I feel like it's been a minute. Um, Stacy Keach is the headmaster, headmaster, um, of the school. It's so wonderful because you have Clay, Tom and Alice who look like they've been through hell already. And then you have, uh, Jordan and Childs who are like immaculate. Like they're still in their like head, headmaster, head boy roles. Like they feel like they've, they've assessed the situation. They're like, let's have some dinner. Like they got literally the only ones left at this school. So that means all the kids and all the other teachers are gonzo. So who knows what their state of mind is. So they're just doing what they do best. Um, they've been prepping to be preppy their whole lives. Do you know what I mean? They're like, that's what they do in any type of situation. And that's how they look at this point. But it's like preppy and prepper are not the same. No, but preparation when you're at a prep school, that's how you know how to prep is by looking preppy. Do you know what I mean? Though, like, you know how to clean your things. You have, you cessed all your, all your, all your, um, ammunition and all your stuff. They know where everything is. Everything has its place. If it didn't have its place anymore, they would probably lose hit. 
And we're about to see that kind of happen. Well, of course. Uh, but luckily Jordan's kind of like the, a computer whiz kind of kid. So he knows about computers, which is nice. Nobody else does. So they find out that we have, um, Oh, they also talk about the science. This is where also that part where they talk about the science of these things too. Um, because it's not just science. It's also the computer science and developmental leaps. They think that, um, Stacey Keach kind of has that weird, uh, Pretorius like gleam in his eye about like, this could be the next like evolution of people. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Or like connected in this way in this like mind of cybernetics. And he just kind of goes into this weird, like kind of fringy thing. So he does sound a little prepper. (laughs) Yeah, he does. But he also says, he says, you know, it's like a colony of bees or ants where everybody acts for the good of the group as a whole. So there's no competitiveness. There's no selfishness. It's like, that's part of it. Like that, like, because if we, if humans got to that point, that would be nice. Right. If everybody was just on this equal level and helping each other, we're working on it. We haven't quite gotten there yet. <laughs> Sorry, I'm making faces um, at Julia. You guys can't yeah, see. Like, I'm like, eh. yeah, yeah, maybe not gonna happen, but we can dream. Uh, so they're like, but where? So Alice and Tom and Claire were like, okay, so they they go somewhere at night. Where do they go? And they're like, let's show you where they go. So they take them on a little field trip over down to the football field where there are just thousands of them packed in as closely as possible, all asleep? Question mark. But they all have. There, there's music and there's, and their mouths are all open and there's music coming out of their mouths as well. Like a big radio station, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and they're playing, all playing the same, same song coming out of them. And it's creepy as hell to see all those bodies. Like it's literally like thousands of bodies stacked up on top of each other. Mm -hmm. Um, not moving, just making that sound coming out of them. Um, Mm-hmm. But it's handy uh, if you want to kill a bunch of them all at once to know that there's uh, they all are all in one place. So that makes it quite quite easy. So Charles and Jordan have already figured out the perfect plan. They said that there's a gasoline pump at the motor pool. They got a field sprayer. You're just going to drive right over them, spray them with gasoline, and then just burn the fuck out of them. So it's like okay, it's a pretty good plan. All right, let's let's do this plan. So, uh, so they, so John Cusack and, uh, Samuel Jackson get the truck and go to the motor pool and hope that nobody's around, uh, and then start driving on over them. And I would say hats off to the sound effects guy, because the sound of them driving over these bodies is horrific. And the looks on their faces is just... I'm feeling that look right now. My stomach is like turning thinking about it. It was so gross. It's just like uh, bones creaking, cracking underneath, you know, big uh, tractor sprayer. Um, And then, of course, as they get through there, they get a little stuck in the middle of that field. And I was like, that's not where you want to get stuck. Um, Where, you know, and he's like, get it into another gear. And it's this is great, too, because Clay and Tom are sharing um, some whiskey while they're doing this. You know, it's like we're going down. This is this is it like the end of the world. And we are drinking. Um, And they're just spraying all this gas all over all these bodies on this collective field. They do make their way out of it. They get unstuck. Um, And he's like, you know, you've had more as they get off the field, uh, more than a DUI and, you know, amount of whiskey. And he's like, yeah as the mass murder is not going to be the, the biggest per charge <laughs> I'm going to get hit with right now. It's like, no dude, you're yeah. Uh, uh, oof, sorry. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's time to, uh, to burn baby burn and just light that shiz up. And you have thousands of people just burning away. And you're like, that's pretty fucking terrible. And you have, especially when they cut away and you have Alice watching, you have Charles watching, you have Jordan watching, you have this like little boy watching, this happened, but it's kind of those kind of things. I think would you have you would have to watch it, like you could not. You could not it. watch it, and also because the sound that comes out of it 
is also terrifying because it went from like this weird, like kind of calmish music to this crazy sound of rage and howling that comes out of these people. Because that's the line where you're like, are they still kind of human ish? Like, did we wake them up from that sleep or that zombie, like, um, or that dreamlike trance, like state that they were, um, in and now are they alive and being killed? Um, and it's interesting too, I think during part of this, that, um, one of the conversations too, was just talking about, you can't stop progress, but you're never too old to fight it. Some of the guys are talking about as they are trying to figure out how do we stop this thing? How do we change this, this, this thing that that's, that's happening? Um, the headmaster CC Keach does get killed within the blast as the truck explodes and things are happening. Cause some of the, some of the people are being broken off from that big huddle of, of group. So they actually are having to shoot. Um, and he has air, like he had shot, uh, with a bow and arrow shot the, uh, fire arrow into the, to ignite all that gasoline and, and, and set the kindling on fire. And, uh, he ends up being killed on his own, um, his own arrow, bow and arrow. Uh, so they just, um, after the carnage of that, there's just, you know, the kind of collective misery of the people and deciding what to do next. Um, but Clay's like, I gotta go, go find my family. Like you guys can stay here if you want to stay here, but I, I'm leaving. So if you want to come, let's go. So they all decide to go together. Um, which is actually too bad, I think, because like, think about their resources at that school. Like they had like food for so long and they would be pretty well set up, but I understand you got to see your family. I understand. He just wants peace of mind. I mean, in the midst of the end of the world, all he wants to do, even if he barely makes it there, I think he just wants to be able to say goodbye to his family no matter right. what. And so I get that impetus of like, okay, well this is it. Like I, that's probably the last people I want to go see. I feel like that's even happening. Oh, sorry, too much present, you guys. But like feeling like yeah. there's, I know there are a lot of people who left LA already or left the city to go back to their families just because it's like during this time, like I'd rather be close to people I love and, and, and around them as much as possible. I'm glad I get to be close to you. Even if I'm right here like this virtually, if I can still drive by your house <laughs> and wave at you or whatever, do you know what I mean? Though, and be close to the people I love. So I get that. Uh, so they end up walking to an abandoned drive-in where they all uh, bed down for the evening and uh, all seem to have a collective nightmare about a man in a red hoodie who uh, uh, the raggedy man is he is referred to in uh, the book. Um, and he is uh, actually, so Clay is a graphic novelist. And in the beginning of the movie, we'd see him with his uh his portfolio his and he had just, he had just finished a graphic novel called the night traveler, uh, which is, uh, a, and so the character, the raggedy man is a character from his graphic novel. Uh, he said he's a prophet of the apocalypse. Um, and so that's, so that's a little weird, right? You have a character coming out of a graphic novel into real life. Yeah. And the, and also the crazy part too, is at the beginning in the terminal, he had that portfolio with him and that portfolio got, kind of destroyed a little bit in the midst of the, the mayhem. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was like, Ooh, is this like some sort of weird, did we unleash it in the midst, midst of that? Like, how did they all end up with that? I was wondering about the supernatural elements of that too. Um, so, and they also find a, a giant burned pile of cell phones, which they end up adding theirs to. Uh, but then the, yeah, they have that giant pile of cell phones that are outside the, um, that where they slept that night, the drive in like little, like they were in like the, um, what's that called? The kitchen and the little, uh, I don't know, the projection. Thank you. I was like the thing, the foods that you get when you're at the movies, I don't remember anymore because I get them from my, my kitchen now at my house, not from a concession <laughs> stand anymore. Um, but yes, they were, um, 
right outside of the concession area where they had spent the night. And it's just a crazy steaming pile. So I wasn't sure, was it all the zombies that like made it out of the fire from the night before that just ended up piled in front of that and mm. burnt up? Who knows? Oh, interesting. Um, so they, but they start seeing uh, spray painted on places, cash whack, no foe. Um, and they're like, what the fuck does that mean? Um, and so Jordan tells them it's a no phone zone, like a dead zone. He says, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, so they said that this is like, are, this is where people are starting to head because this is, but they don't know who's painting it. Like, what are they, is it a trap? What are they really heading? Is it true? Who knows how true it really is? Probably not so much. Um, yeah, but they end up at this bar (laughs) (laughs) on their way as they see these signs and they talk to these people about it and everybody's kind of got theories, but they get hammered with a new crew of people. Yeah. It's just a random, like really unexpected kind of just let's let let's just fucking party at this bar. Cause why not? Why not? We got nothing else. It's an end of the world dive bar. And I am here for the end of the world dive bar. Like that's it. It's like, well, these handful of people that probably have been holding this bar up for 30 years, yeah. you know what I mean? They're like they probably spent more nights there than, and their actual homes, you know, like yeah. at this point. Um, and so, and so mm-hmm. Samuel L. Jackson's like looking through the jukebox for the perfect plot song to play. And he's like, okay, okay, I got it. And it's, it's ring my bell. And I'm like, all right, that's pretty good. But he went through like all these other phones. Phone songs too. Like he's yeah. like, oh, this is a good phone song. No, no, no. This one's the best phone song. He was just, <laughs> just, just making the most out of a terrible, terrible situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have, yeah, the little dance party and uh, they're trying to have, uh, they're also trying to figure out like what the deal is with the raggedy man during all of this. Like, is he, is he the devil? Mm-hmm. Is good always going to conquer evil? Um, and uh, we have a little scene between Alice and Clay, which is very sweet. And they get to connect. And Alice uh, says she has a crush on crush on Clay, which is kind of cute. Um, and, uh, and he so draws that- her, draws like a really cute little thing on like the receipt because he's such a great little artist. Um, and then we have these interesting images of like taxidermy that are like crazy in this in this build in this building in this bar, and it kind of gets a little freaky. And you're like, uh oh, this is like. A little foreboding that they are not as safe as it seems, I think, in this in this little bubble of a space. It's not going to last for very long. So they lock themselves in for the night um, into this bar so they can make sure that nobody tries to get in while they're there. But they hear something, or Sally, who's the crazy fun lady at the bar, uh, hears something and she goes to the door. And instead of just going back inside, she hears something and leans to listen. Mm-hmm. Big mistake. Yeah, because it can transmit through the door. Infected through the door. Infected through the door. So she becomes infected, which transmits to the barkeep, which just like all of a sudden is complete chaos. Um, And Alice gets hit over the head with a baseball bat in a real not good way. Uh, They ended up having to shoot Sally uh, and Alice. They take her outside so she can be outside and like die outside. And she's got that weird one like bloodshot eye. And I was like, Oh, it reminds me a little bit of 28 days later, you know, that like "Ah," creepy looking eye thing. I was like, Oh no, is she going to be okay? Is she going to turn? And she's like, no, she just got real bad killed. Um, And they, yeah, they do take her outside into the woods and bury her in the woods Mm-hmm. Um, so, but now they know that the flock is, uh, recruiting. and evolving, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they, now they can transmit through their mouths. They don't even need the they phones, need phones anymore. anymore. Yep. So now that's kind of a, uh, another, uh, wrench in the works. Uh, and they run it into two other people who are normal. We run it to Ray and Denise. Uh, Denise is pregnant. Always fun. I'd be pregnant in the apocalypse. Oh man. Just, 
Yeah, it's it's not good. Um, and they're great. They're like quintessential Massachusetts people. I'm obsessed with them with the the pock the cot accents and everything. I'm here for it. And just like you know, they're like the everyday guy out there. Like, okay, this is the theory. We haven't been up. We haven't been sleeping for like you know five days straight or whatever. And like we've been up. And so I'm keeping it up. And and Denise, she's got to sleep because she's pregnant. But I'm I'm just up. And he's like, this guy is full on the other side of crazy. And I love it when he shows up because he's right when you need it, right after like Alice has passed away. It's really sad, but to have this guy like kind of pop you back up a little bit of comic relief. The guy who thinks he's going to like, he has it all under control. And you're like, sir, you have nothing. <laughs> you have nothing under control. I got a canary in the coal mine though. So I got, I got Denise's brother over here and you find out that Denise's brother is one of the flock. Uh, but they've got him as you do. You keep one just to see if it's going to turn. This felt very um, like every zombie movie. There's always like somebody's got the experimental one. It's like, this is going to give us the, this is the bellwether. <laughs> yeah. Like, like Bub and day of the dead. Yeah. You have him, like locked up and you're like, okay, we just we figure out what the deal is with him. And, but this is actually really smart because when they, when any of the other phoners come near, he starts to, he Buzz. starts to freak out. So mm-hmm. that now they know that they're coming. Um, and they have an ice cream, cream truck that they're driving. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Uh, but so John Cusack goes over and, and hears his voices of his son coming out of the brother's mouth saying, are you coming home? Um, and, uh, they end up uh, shooting, shooting the brother because now that they know, because now they know where they, he's now told everybody else where they, because there's a hive mind and he's seen them. Now they all know where they are. He's acted instead of acting like a a safety net, he's been acting like a beacon to bring them to them now. Yeah. Yes. So now they realize they all have to go. So yes, ask ice cream truck. Awesome. Not going to go very fast, but it's going to have a lot of room for people and things. And the things being a lot of C4. (laughs) (laughs) So we find out that our dear friend, our new friend, uh, besides being completely wonderfully off his rocker, also knows how to use explosives real good. Um, And he's also rigged them up before and he knows how to set stuff up. So we find out that he actually has rigged this ice cream truck to be like the ultimate like end machine. Yes. So they, uh, but so Ray stops the truck and gets out and asks Clay to come over. He wants to talk with him and gives him this phone. And it's like, you'll know when to use this, press the button when it, when you need to use this phone. Uh, and then all this number, yeah, all this number and then, uh, blows himself up real bad. So yeah, he knows how to use dynamite real good, but I guess Ray, he's just done. He's just like, I don't, don't want to do it. And I understand, I understand that. Well, but because the thing gets into your mind and they get it. He's, he's been cracking up already. And that's why he didn't want to sleep either. Because when you dream, you see the end of the world, you see the apocalypse, you see all these terrible things. And he's done looking at all these terrible things. Yeah. Um, Cause he knows they're in, he's there in his head and how much to him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but blowing yourself up does seem a bit dramatic, a little over the top, but if you know how to use dynamite, you do what you do. You use um, the stuff you have, your resources. And that seems like the quickest way to go. Cause if you shoot yourself, sometimes you don't know if it's going to be immediate, yeah. if you're going to fuck it up. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things that can go wrong with certain types of deaths. Yeah. I would say blowing yourself up pretty, pretty, pretty effective, pretty effective. Um, so they end up getting, uh, finally to Clay's house and, uh, there his, his wife and son are, uh, not there. Uh, but there is note on the fridge in magnets that, uh, they're he, going to cash whack. So now he's got to go to cash whack, no foe, whether he wants to go or not. And John Cusack just let, let on and he knows it's probably a trap. 
but there's nothing else he can do. Yeah, also because he has this like weird, yeah, that weird zombie fight with like what it was share, what it was his ex wife Sharon versus and it like morphs into like the the the, the raggedy man, the raggedy also known as the president of the apocalypse is basically yes. what they're calling him now too. So he's got all these. This guy's got all these different names. Whatever's ushering them to the end. Yeah, um, so it's, it's weird where the raggedy man kind of like adjusts his perception. So it's like he thinks he's fighting him, but he's actually fighting his wife. So yeah, he ends up having to. So he knows where the wife is. Wife is if wife's gone now. Has to get rid of her, uh, which is no fun. And then has to go forward to Cashwack and see what happens. So this is when the party splits, which is really sad, and they say goodbye. Um, but Clay tells the little boy Jordan, little head boy. Um, He's like, they're talking about Orpheus, which I thought was interesting, mm-hmm. but Orpheus is, you know, the tale um, where he this, this goes down to go get Eurydice from the pits of hell, basically, and bring her back out. Um, it's it's not a great mission. Um, and we know that it's probably a suicide mission now because it's like no one really goes to hell and, and, and makes it back out. It's just not, yeah. not going to happen. And it is sad because, you know, you want the party to all kind of stay together, but the other ones are like, uh, you're probably going to die and we don't want to die. So we're not going to go, gonna go that you. way. It's- yeah. And so, uh, so Clay goes forwards and there are, uh, thousands of people who are flocking to this giant cell tower. Uh, so a lie, it is a phone zone. It's Why a, did the you biggest lie? phone zone you've ever done scene zone. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's pretty massive and it just looks like some weird running of the bullshit or something where it's just like, you know, like it's so crowded and there's so many bodies going in the same kind of motion and direction. It's really mm-hmm. off putting. Uh, so he ends up, it looks like uh, Mecca. Actually, that's what I wrote down to. Like, you know, oh, they go on the circles, circling yeah. and circling and circling. That's what it really, really reminded me of. Um, so he ends up, uh, running over the, pr- the president, uh, the raggedy man, um, and is looking for his son in this like thousands and thousands of people. He can hear his son's voice, but he doesn't know where he is. Um, but, uh, ends up finding him and he is one of them. Uh, so he's a he's phoner. Like, the kid's he's a, a phoner. phoner. So he's like, okay, well, what are we going to do here? What, what do I got? He's like, well, I know what to do with this phone I have. I know what number to dial. Uh, and I'm going to dial this number and blow up all that dynamite in that ice cream truck and take out as many people as possible. Uh, which and does tower. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then they're like, okay, well, well, then when that's, that's kind of the thing. And then you have like this thing of like, they're, they're walking to Canada. Like we're okay. We got I was out. Like, are this afterlife? <laughs> And then everything was all pretty too. Cause it was like that weird, like dreamy, like Barbara Streisand, like too much, like uh Vaseline on the camera look, you know, like everything's all smooth and like pretty. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. They're all going to walk to Canada together. It'll be fine. Uh, and they're, Oh yeah. And the other thing, cause he had told the, his friends to leave like markers along the way of like spray paint, like your initials. So I can know where to follow you along whatever path you guys end up taking. So they're fo- walking along that little, train track kind of path and they see the little markers like this is the way they went we got it no no uh no we cut back to reality and john cusack is a phoner now and just trudging along with blank face with the rest of them um but does say and i think this is kind of slightly hopeful in this very dystopian ending uh that you'll never walk alone and i was like well, okay, I get that. So you they're high- all blissfully like in some beautiful dream. Is that what the phoners get to see? Is like their so. best possible like utopia. So they're all just kind of like just they'll stick with it because they actually get to think that they're happy. Maybe. 
perhaps. Uh, again, ending uh, different from the book, so I can't really uh, I can't really say. But uh, in the book, uh, Clay does find his son. The son is a phoner. He decides to take him with him anyway and kind of try to live with him. And Jordan had had this theory that maybe the first call would uh, fuck you up, but the, if you tried calling the second time, that maybe it would reset the computer chip and kind of bring you back to normal. So the end of the book is Clay like ringing the second time and putting it up to his phone, his kid's ear, and like hoping that it'll bring him back to normal. And that's the end. Um, so uh, that one's kind of an ambiguous ending. It could have gone well or it could have gone bad. I don't and think this it is did. just. It probably didn't, but uh, this is just a, a bad, bad ending. Just, but uh, if you're in, locked in blissful uh, dreamland forever, it's not that bad, right? It's like a bad coma. It's so sad. I was really devastated by the end of this movie. <laughs> Were you? Yeah, I woke. I, I I was talking about it with the guys earlier. I I watched this movie way too late at night and woke up just thinking about it. And I'm just like, oh, that was so sad. Just and just that that look on John Cusack's face of like that other utter sad, sad bliss because it's just like ignorant bliss like he, there's no way to get out of it he's like trapped in a vicious circle of of this weird vision yes and these uh, glassy blank eyes of, of him trudging trudging along um so that was cell so let's talk about some gore factor uh one is not enough blood to fill a dixie cup two is a puddle of blood three is enough blood to gross out the average viewer four is a bathtub of blood and five is run for the barf bag we get this five for gore uh we get a lot of people getting shot we get a lot a lot of people getting run over and burned and uh blown up explosions so. of body parts and people and things so yeah and even the, just for that first two minutes in the tsa airport where yeah. like like literal blood out of brains and things i think uh there's lots of puddles of, of, of things of blood uh mm -hmm. so yeah that's a full five for us um let's talk about those chainsaws one if you're desperate two barely qualifies as a horror film three seen worse seen better four not too shabby and five fantastical i am going to give this film a three for me I, uh, it did stick with me. I, I would recommend watching it, but I also, if, if it's too bleak for these times right now, watch something happier. Uh, maybe, I don't know with the happier ending. <laughs> uh, I, uh, so I gave this a three and a half. Um, so I, this was not one of my favorite Stephen King books. Uh, also not one of my favorite Stephen King movies. I enjoy the apocalyptic beginning and I like the group of characters and the, like, I like that they are going on this quest together, but it never really feel satisfying to me. Um, and I guess the phoners as a villain aren't terribly scary in themselves. They're like, a, like it's like zombies, right? It's like in numbers, but it's not like they're going to eat you. It's just, they're going to kind of invade your brain and make you one of them. So they're like a little bit less scary zombies, I suppose. Um, but of course you have, I think all the performances are great. John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson, you know, and I kind of late, later days, John Cusack, he's kind of hit or miss now as far as like how much he'll give a role, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Frequently. Yeah. And I feel like he gives a lot to this role. So I he really does. appreciate that. I really um, like the first 20 minutes of this movie. I'm going to give it that for sure. I just, I like the setup. I like the premise. I like how they kind of like got into it. Um, yeah. The ending was just so dissatisfying for me that I'm just, that's, that's where I'm at. <laughs> well I, I i live for bleak endings like i know you do and i don't mind bleak but it, it just i don't know there was something about it. i was just like oh okay. it, just, it left me really sad maybe it was the timing <laughs> well you know 
watching anything having to do with the end of the world during a 2020 pandemic is not exactly uh, a walk in the park, but this is, I will live for Stephen King forever. So, you know, bring it on next week. uh, The next in our Stephen King, uh, we're going to be talking about the mist which I have not seen, which I've heard is amazing, which I'm very excited for. Uh, I've heard a lot is, of good things about this one too. I'm super pumped to watch it and talk yes, about it I, with you. Uh, it's a really great story. So hopefully it will translate into a really great movie. So okay. thank you for listening to us talk about Cell. Next week, we're going to uh, talk about The Mist. And we always love to talk to you online on our Facebook, our internet goodies. Yeah, Facebook, <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, patreon.com slash horror movie survival guide. Check us out. Join us. Join the fun. Keep it going on. Yeah. yeah. And if you if you if you love horror, if you love Stephen King, uh, we're the place to be. So we will see you next week. Cats and kittens in the mist. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs>